If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Scripture lesson this morning is Psalm 98. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him victory. The Lord has made known his victory. He has revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands, let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Here ends this reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. You know how this goes. When the scripture reading is a psalm, one of the first things we do is note the genre. If you brought your own Bible, which is likely a study Bible, it'll tell you a few things about the various genres of psalms, thanksgiving, lament, wisdom, royal, and praise. Psalm 98 is a combination of sorts, royal and praise, thought to be used in worship. But more praise than royal, though, urging not just the reader, but all of creation to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Uh, A plain reading of the text makes the message seem simple enough. The warrior king is victorious, Israel is on top, all is right in the world. But of course we know that ancient Israel really never was a powerhouse nation. The Hebrew empire is not a thing. From a historical perspective, most of the Hebrew Bible finds ancient Israelites in captivity or in exile. Generally speaking, when dating almost any text in the Old Testament, it is safe to assume that the people were far removed from home and without sovereignty or self-determination. And yet, here we have this psalm of praise, even though there is no reason to think that life was peachy keen for the psalmist or for the people of Israel. 
There is a lesson here for us, of course, or even better, an invitation to deepen our spirituality. For as theologian Paul Meyer writes, the psalmist invites people to consider the activity of God as a movement of salvation that is oriented towards putting all things right. It is an activity that is infused with not only the movement of God, but the very presence of God in the thickness of human experience and in the movement of all things. We are invited to think of praise as a spiritual practice, or rather as a discipline, an act of intentionality. We, like the ancient Israelites did, are to offer praise, whether things are up, down, or sideways. But what is praise exactly? To praise is to commend, to express admiration for, to applaud, pay tribute, speak highly of, compliment, congratulate, wax lyrical about, to make much of, to hail, and, this is my favorite, to raise a ballyhoo. The ancient Israelites were ballyhooers. They called on the sea to roar and the hills to sing, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. This seems a bit much to us. Maybe we'll break out the trumpets on Easter Sunday, but we wouldn't want to be carried away on a regular Sunday. We United Church of Christers from the Congregationalist tradition aren't really ballyhooers. I mean, we're not as stiff as our Presbyterian kin, but we do give them a run for their money. When the psalm implores us to make a joyful noise, some of us wonder if clapping along to the hymn counts. And then we try desperately to remember if we do that on beats one and three or two and four, it's two and four. It's two and four. Clint paid me to say that. But whether or not our praise can be described as ballyhoo, we have some other concerns about praise. Praise, as James Howell notes, isn't productive. It is downright wasteful in terms of possible ways to spend your time. We do not like to waste things, whether it's time or money or effort. Our Protestant work ethic turns up its nose at the thought. We should be out there doing things, not sitting around praising. But as Mark Falk recently reminded me, we think of ourselves as human doings, not human beings. Even the disciples had a hard time with this. Remember the story of the woman with the alabaster jar who anointed Jesus with costly perfume? She made a lavish, life-affirming gesture of praise Yet the Gospel of Mark tells us, but some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? It could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. They said her praise was wasteful. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? Wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. So perhaps we should rethink our attitude towards praise. 
There is a tendency, too, to dismiss praise, especially among progressive churches, or at least to dismiss what many of us know as the praise and worship experience. And there is fair criticism in this, and it is not simply because churches that use contemporary worship songs can frequently be confused for rock concert venues. Contemporary worship music, often called 7-Eleven music, for it is the same seven words sung 11 times over. <laughs> it promotes the kind of emotionalism that trains people to seek a caffeine jolt of emotional bliss instead of contributing towards deeper and sustained spirituality. But the more serious problem is theological. Contemporary worship music's near soul focus is about how terrible and sinful and shameful and undeserving we are. And I can't help but wonder if God is offended by it by how terrible we speak of what God called not just good, but very good. And do we really believe that God needs that kind of praise? Even if one subscribes to the idea that God somehow needs our praise, and I do not believe God does, this kind of praise makes God seem incredibly shallow and narcissistic. If making God feel good requires self-flagellation, I'm comfortable suggesting that God would say, we're doing it wrong. I am convinced people do not need help remembering that we regularly miss the mark or sin, to use the theological word. We need reminding that because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, we need to stop comparing distances. Praise helps with that. Praise, like so many other spiritual practices, is about orientation. Humans seem to need reminding that we are not the boss. While we don't typically admit it out loud, we are usually more than happy to render judgment on others. But praise serves to remind us that there is a divine mystery, which we call by many names, God, the ground of being, the great spirit. And that divine mystery has it covered. The psalmist reminds us in the form of praise that we are not judge, jury, and executioner, for the Lord is coming to judge the earth. The Lord, not us, will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. In other words, we've all got dirty laundry hanging on the line and praise reminds us that God will do the sorting. So, how might we think about praise? Wow. Wow is what I understand praise to be. It is awe. As Anne Lamott writes, to be wowed means that we are not dulled to wonder. We click into being fully present when we're stunned into that gasp by the side of a birth, watching the sunrise. Wow is about having one's mind blown in the mesmerizing or the miraculous, the veins in a leaf, birdsong, volcanoes. In her book, Help Thanks Wow, Anne shares about hearing wow for the first time from the mouth of a most beloved family friend, a German nature lover named Gertrude. Anne writes, she said, wow, a lot 
when she and her husband took my family out onto San Francisco Bay in their small sailboat, and when we went on a wildfire, wildflower hike in Yosemite. Vow, look at this! Looking straight up from beneath the Golden Gate Bridge. Vow, look at this! Alpine, blue spider, lupine, monkey flowers, and paintbrush. Vow, or wow, because you are almost speechless, but not quite. You can manage barely this one syllable. When we are stunned to the place beyond words, we are finally starting to get somewhere. It is so much more comfortable to think that we know what it all means, what to expect, and how it all hangs together. When we are stunned to the place beyond words, when an aspect of life takes us away from being able to chip away at something until it's down to a manageable size and then file it away nicely, when all we can say in response is, wow, that is praise. Wows come in all shapes and sizes like people. There are lowercase vowels. These are the times when we sink into something modest that delivers above and beyond. When you crawl between clean sheets after a hard day, you are saved. You feel like you are the best sandwich ever. You're being taken care of from the top and the bottom with not a crumb or a lump or a wrinkle. Wow! You can't believe you felt so low and lonely till you thought to change the sheets. <laughs> the cotton feels like cool, smooth skin. A lowercase wow might be seeing a kiddo execute a dive at the town pool or coming upon a blanket of poppies in the field that was destroyed by a grass fire last summer. And then, then there are the uppercase wows, Yosemite, Fireworks, watching puppies being born at the neighbors. Remember first semi-sort of being able to imagine the sheer size of dinosaurs at five or six, trying to comprehend how a brontosaurus could be 75 feet long? Wow, and what must that have looked like? As you, as you studied dinosaurs then in school or in a book you took out from the library because you just had to know more about them, you learned that they were doomed and that they died out and you saw paintings of them with their dinosaur families and you saw that they did wriggly, pouncy family stuff and that the nicer ones nibbled on high leaves like gigantic lumpy giraffes or like your grandpa taking a piece of turkey before Thanksgiving dinner. And then, then they were gone, kaput. When you're a little kid, that's about as trippy as science gets. These huge creatures once roamed the earth and now are fossils and everything from a stegosaurus to your grandpa appears, roams the earth for a while, and then vanishes. Wow. And let's not even get into the planets, I and mean, that's when it all becomes kind of terrifying for a decade, not just that there are other planets, which is awful enough upon first hearing, but that there are also other suns. That just seems so wrong. I mean, what a nightmare. Not just a few other suns, but dozens of them. No, this can't be. It's too much. 
And then it turns out there are hundreds of other sons and then thousands. And you could have a nervous breakdown at seven years old trying to take this all in. And then again at eight years old when you learn that there are a hundred other universes. This is so terrible. It's worse than finding out that your parents have sex. <laughs> or at least did those three times. <laughs> but the good news is that we somehow ended up on the one planet where someone thought up Monopoly and Oreos. And by the time you discover that there are millions of other galaxies, you discover boys or girls. And then, then coffee. <laughs> and Mary Oliver and Elton John. Wow, indeed. So perhaps praise isn't as foreign or hard as we thought. It is simply wow in both big and small. But praise is a spiritual practice because it isn't just being wowed when things are good. What is so remarkable about the ancient Israelites is that no matter how far from home they were, no matter whose thumb they were under, no matter how hard life was, Israel praised. They found the wow when nothing was right, when nothing was okay, still, wow. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for the Lord has done marvelous things, wow. This is our model. When nothing is right, when nothing is okay, still, wow. This does not mean that we ignore sadness or rage or worry or pretend everything is fine, but that we are committed to finding the wow. Praise is our best counter to evil and grief in the world. For if we are lost in wonder, love, and praise, there is not much chance we will be overwhelmed by cynicism or despair. This is the work of faith, that in the face of trouble and heartache, we say, nevertheless, we trust that love will see us through. And as evidence of that trust, we will be ever wowed by the miracles all around us. This we can do. I am sure of it. So let us rise now and sing our praise, even though things are not necessarily right or okay. And then when we leave this place, we will be better at seeing the wow and more ready to point it out, lift it up, and offer praise. And who knows, if we work at it enough, we might become ballyhooers. <laughs> Hit it, Glenda. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. 
Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.